0: So if you do have your Bible, uh, a lot of you are already there, we are going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, And a lot of you have either done studies on the book of Ecclesiastes, you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a portion of you, uh, when you look at the title Ecclesiastes without me telling you, you could not pronounce it. Um, You don't know how to spell it unless it's prompted to you and you're kind of new to the whole book. And so my... Heart and goal is to really do two things at the same time where if you've never read Ecclesiastes in your life and uh, everything is new, it makes sense to you and you understand and it applies to your life. And if you, I mean, if Ecclesiastes, I know some of you guys, you got that thing memorized backwards, like it's part of your quiet time. You got the memory verses down, you know, Ecclesiastes 3.11, you know, you got it in your car, you know. You know what's in there, I hope to bring a fresh, fresh perspective in a way that would help you apply this to your life. Um, I was just telling, uh, I actually told a few guys before we started here tonight, Ecclesiastes is bar none, top to bottom, uh, my favorite book of the Bible. Selfishly, I want to go through this book or teach through it once a year because I feel like I need it. If I had one sermon to preach and I was going to die and I knew the date I was going to die and they said, Mike, you have one last sermon, what would you preach? I would say Ecclesiastes 2. Because this book, I believe, is extremely practical. I believe for us as Westerners, it meets us right where we are and it challenges us in the way that we think maybe about our relationship with God and our relationship and how we live and operate today in our lives. And so if you're new here tonight, if this is your first time or your first time in a while, I would really challenge you to invest uh, for the next 10 weeks. There are 12 chapters. Uh, Some nights we're going to tackle a whole chapter. Tonight we're going to tackle chapter one, but really we're going to work through this book and cover a chapter, sometimes two in an evening, to where um, hopefully, I believe, that it will apply to us now even more than ever because I believe what Solomon is doing is teaching us how to live a life that is worthwhile and how to live like you're dying. He is a older gentleman, an older gentleman and he is writing this letter reflecting on his life. I cannot tell you how many times this phrase was said to me. Michael, you don't know what you don't know. Amen. You don't know what you don't know. And I would say, what do you mean I don't know? I feel like I know some things. And whether it was before I got married, talking to someone who was married, what would they look at me? Michael, you just don't know what you don't know, man. And even now, I only have one daughter and she's young and really can't screw much up at this point, I hope. Uh, But still, yeah, give me time. Uh, People will say, oh, Mike, you just, you don't know what you don't know. And the older that you get, at least for me, the older I get, there are aspects where you reflect on your own life and you're able to say, man, I wish I would have known that. I wish I would have learned this lesson or gleaned this truth or applied this to my life sooner because some things in your life, no matter how smart you are, doesn't matter how good looking you are, doesn't matter how much money you got, doesn't matter, all of that, what? You have to experience something. And Solomon did what each and every one of us in this room have been tempted to do, are currently doing, or will be tempted at some time to do, and we have the opportunity to learn from him, to learn principles, to learn lessons, and to walk and walk away and say, you know what, I would like to not do X, Y, and Z, or not put all my chips in the bag here because someone went before me, and I want to learn some lessons here, so Tonight, uh, I, I've titled, we're going to work through chapter 1 rather quickly, and then I'm going to give some things as far as for us to get from this study and some ways that we can apply this. So for tonight, the first point I have for us, Ecclesiastes 1, if you're not there, that's where we're going to be. But uh, the first point I have for us is there is, all, there is a story behind the story for Solomon. One, chapter 1, verse 1 says this, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So before we even get into this, there's a lot of debate on if this guy actually wrote the book. I don't think it's neither here nor there, but I do believe that Solomon wrote this book. And before you get into it, I believe he is penning this letter almost as a testimony of his life. And it is saying, the words of the preacher, the son of David... So who is this guy? Just to give some quick background, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, it says this the Lord appeared to Solomon and asked, asked him this, What shall I give you? David was just over uh, king of Israel, Saul was before him, and then it comes on the scene is Solomon. And as Solomon becomes king in Israel, here's what happens he's super young, he's super humble. And he knows the task that is before him is just too big for him. It's just something he can't accomplish. It's not something on his own that he can do. He had done some things that he shouldn't have done in 1 Kings 3. He's married and sleeping around with Pharaoh's daughters and things like this. He's, you know, sacrificing at the high place. But God approaches him and says, hey, what do you want from me? And if God asked you that question, what would you say? He looked at Mike Duma and said, hey, you get to ask me one thing. What do you want from me? God approaches Solomon because of the position he's in, and he asks him the question, hey, what do you want? And this is what Solomon says in 1 Kings 3, 9 to 13. It'll be on the screen. Give your servant an understanding mind that I may discern between good and evil. That's it. He says, I've, I see the task set before me, and I don't know what to do, so give me wisdom, give me discernment, so I kind of know what to do because I am unable in my own ability. It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this, and God said to him, because you have asked this, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and understanding mind. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor. Now, that is not a, a principle to where it's like, well, if I just ask for wisdom, will God give me a lot of money too? That's all I gotta say. All right, what, God, just give me discernment, like, and then bring the cash if that's what comes after it. No, it is not that type of prayer or principle, but he is saying, God, this is the one thing I want. And God said, because you had this, and, and this was your heart, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you wisdom because it's an honorable prayer request. And I'm also going to bless your socks off. I'm going to give you more than you really are asking for because I want things to go well for you. And it says in First Kings 4, 29-31, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people for he was wiser than all other. The, the amount of wisdom that Solomon had or the, the amount of financial gain that Solomon had is not comparable to anyone today. I mean, we'll go into a little bit next week about what it would be like, but there is really no amount. there. I mean, you can throw in the Bill Gates. I mean, you can throw in these guys with the amount of money or fame or wisdom that they had or do have, and no one will compare to Solomon. He is smarter than you, he is wiser than me, and I don't have the kind of money, and nor could I even think about that to be in the same playing field as Solomon. Now, why do I share all of that? In your handout, lesson number one, a great start does not equal a strong finish. A great start does not equal a strong finish. Sometimes in life, um, you have seen this take place or you have saw someone do this where, uh, man, they just started out really well. And we were just talking at the table in the back. Um, for all of you Browns fans, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Every year. It's, I mean, it's just our year. This is it. Some of you guys are like, I'm tired of it being our year. I don't want it to be our year one year. And every year, what do you, you know, week one, we're kind of like, oh, we'll get them next time. Week two, you're upset. Week three, you're just snoozing during halftime because it's a, it's a great start, but it doesn't equal a strong finish. But on a serious level, you've experienced maybe or have seen somebody from afar, they had a strong finish. Maybe it was a strong marriage. Maybe it was a a strong relationship with God, or maybe from a career perspective, they started out really strong. But what happened? Along the way, maybe this took place, maybe this happened, they started flirting with that girl, they got caught up in this one deal, Man, they started chasing their career maybe here, here, here. And I've talked about this a couple times if you were here for Joseph, or Joseph study, but 1 Corinthians ten twelve says this Therefore, if anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. And you know how it continues No temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. God is what? Faithful. A strong start does not equal, or a good start doesn't equal a strong finish. So there are some principles from Solomon that we're going to learn or glean from or things that he has done or things he's going to do that maybe we're able to say, if you're in here tonight, you might say, I've experienced that in my own life at one time or another, or you have seen somebody else experience that. Lesson number two, don't make a conclusion based on perception. Um comparison will absolutely eat you for dinner, it will spit you out, it will make you regret, it will make you envy others, it will make you look at other careers and all these things and other people's marriages and other people's kids. And here's why I'm saying this about Solomon before we jump into chapter one. If, if anyone didn't know him on a personal level, I'm making a uh, conjecture here. If you were just to know him as the king, just to know him as the guy with 700 wives and all of these things and concubines and he's building parks and he's building rivers and sh- I mean this guy is just insanely just impactful from perception, what do what do we do as individuals as sinful human beings when I see someone super successful from afar? What do I do? I want that. That's what I want. I want to be made known. I would like to, I mean, I could use some freedom financially, right? I mean, not a lot, but just a little, right? Ah, yeah, maybe a little bit here. Man, maybe I could use this for my ego. Or man, maybe here. And sometimes what we are guilty of, if we don't know the actual person if we don't know the actual story, we will envy what that person has and we will say, man, if that was just given to me or if that was what I had, man, this is what I would have done with it. Yeah, I would have given to missions. I mean, equip would have been fully funded. I would have sent this person overseas. We would we kind of put it in our own shoes where we, where we would actually be a little bit more godly with it. And sometimes... We just need to be, and we're going to talk about this at the end, but content with where God has us and what he has given to us. There's always a story behind the story, is there not? I mean, man, if I was telling the story and I was six years old and I went over to my neighbor's house, Tommy Calderone, and him and I went up to Tommy's house and my brother and I, we, we put uh, dirt in the Jeep, we peed in the Jeep, we, we put all this stuff and I remember coming back, my mom caught us, uh, you know, my dad caught us first, he thought it was funny and then I had to, you know, tell my mom and I'm trying to give the story what? Behind the story and dad, you didn't know Tommy dared me and you know, this and that and all these things and then, or I could tell you the story if you're in the FLC on Sunday about how I threw away my wife's gift from someone else, so don't judge me. It was like a $300 purse. I put it in the Salvation Army giveaway box uh, at, a, at a parking lot, and I get home, and she's like, where's the Michael Kors bag? And I said, that was with the clothes to put away. You told me to do that. And she goes, you better go back and get that thing. I said, we donated it. You don't understand. There's a story, what, behind the story. I don't know how many times it's going to take me to learn with my wife. I mean, I always am like, <gasps> I'm, I'm scared of her right now. I feel like I'm like I'm, I'm anxious, like I'm nervous. <laughs> um, there's a story behind the story. Maybe you've gotten in trouble at work. I was 16, and my dad, what did he do? He fired me. Dad, I, I, your son, I live with you. He fired me. I'll never forget it. And there was, I'm not going to get into the details of that because it could be inappropriate anyway. There was a story I had to tell my dad. Dad, and later that night I had left. I acted like I was going to be gone long. Came back at 9 o'clock and I sat down and I talked with him. And he said, you better file for unemployment, son. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. I said, "Um, Dad, there's a story behind why I said this to that guy. There's always a story behind the story and don't base Um, don't make conclusions off of perception because Solomon here, he is the most vulnerable old guy I have ever talked to. I mean, he's just honest. And the things he's going to say, he doesn't hold back. He is very clear. He is very honest. He doesn't fluff it up. He just says, this is what happened in my life and this is what I did. Number two, he looked in the wrong places. I'm going to read verses 2 to 11. And he writes it in a poetic form, uh, but I'm going to read the whole thing and hopefully not stop. Actually, I'm going to stop after two. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Hebel is the term, or meaninglessness, or meaningless. Or, and if it was really translated in the way it should, it, it, would, it would not make sense. But it's vanity, and he says, everything in life is meaningless, Right? It's just, I mean, this is just a depressing book. This is a depressing guy. He needs a hug, and he needs taken out to Woody's for breakfast. He needs a hug. He needs his breakfast bought, and he needs told, Man, you're doing great. I love you. And he ain't got that right now. He says, All is vanity. Verse three What does man gain by all his toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. I would underline that. Is there a thing of which it is said? See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance, man, of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who will come after. He looked in the wrong places. There is a side of me, I mean, and maybe some of you would resonate with this, maybe some of you would not, where you want, in some regards, to be remembered. Maybe you just want a plaque. I don't know, maybe you want a, a road named after you. I don't know what you guys think about You're like, man, I used to golf there. That's I want that course. I hit a hole in one back in the 80s. I want that hole named after me. You have things to where you would like to be remembered. Maybe it is even good ambition. Maybe it's that you want to be remembered as the person or the father who broke the family chain. That there that you were the first Christian in your family. That is an honorable pursuit. Or maybe you would like to be be remembered because of the things that you did, maybe in the community or service. And what does Solomon say? Nothing will be remembered. And I know what you're thinking, well, he got remembered. I mean, we're talking about him a couple thousand years later, right? Like, he got remembered. What he is saying is that this meaningless pursuit that he was after, what's he do? He lists his senses, his touch, his taste, his smell. He lists the rivers. He lists what he could see. And he said, I pursued all of these, and they left me what? Empty. And it is not, it is not that these things are bad. I mean, I ain't going to lie, I love a a sweet sunset. Am I on my own? I mean, I'm not trying to get emotional up here, but, like, I, I, I like it. Like, if the sky's red, I mean, I'm not looking at that like, vanity. No, I like it. Like, I take it in. But what is he trying to say? And why am I saying he looked in the wrong places? Because when God creates and when he gives us the sea, And he gives us the stars and creation. And he gives us these things. What are they supposed to do? Point us back to him. Supposed to serve as a reflection for us to look at a sunset and say, man, look at what God has done. And when you look, at, and, and you look at the stars and you look at this pursuit of him, it is to lead us back to God. But if those things are only for ourself, he says there is no remembrance and he says all is vanity. He talks about family. He talks about work. He talks about learning. And he does not understand that God is the giver of these things. Rather, he believed that fulfillment would be because people pursued him for how smart he was some of you would remember, there's a story where uh, the Queen of Sheba is paying massive money just to come and listen to this guy. I mean, to get tickets for his shows was like, I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars. And he's the one who had the wisdom, cut the baby in half. And the one who said, no, 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 don't do that, he said, that's the one. People were impressed with this guy, and he believed, man, the more I know, the smarter I am, the more money I make. And the more that I'm at the center, it's got to eventually fill my cup. Eventually, I got to be able to go to bed at night and think that this will bring me what it's supposed to bring me in his head. So he pursues and he pursues and he looks in the wrong places. When we were going through Ecclesiastes with the, the college group, I gave an illustration. You guys would kill it, so I'm not going to do this. I would say, Who is our current president? And they would say it. Okay, who is the previous president? You know, and they would get that one. All right, who was the one before that one? And they're like, uh, and then there'd be one smart kid in the back. And then I'd be like, all right, what about after Reagan? You know, and then they were just done. They couldn't remember who the following presidents were. And then they got their, you know, they got their phones out and they're like, you know, listen to all the, yo, Carter. Like, uh, here's what, here's why I say that. Even the most influential or uh, famous person in America, after about 25, 30 years, we all just kind of forget. They have no impact on us. And in our pursuit sometimes, and, and maybe you're there and you'd be like, hey, honestly, I'm not even trying to be famous. I could care less about that. I ain't trying to make a lot of money. I, how does that, what does this have to do with me at all? And I think what Solomon would ask you is this, what are you giving your ambition to and what are you asking that to do? What are you striving for? What is the, why, your engine inside of you? What does that run, and who is running that, and what are you hoping it brings? And it's not that ambition is wrong. Don't you hear me? I mean, I, I'll, I'll be the first critic. I am super ambitious. I think that this book beats me up all the time, but I think ambition is good. Ambition is biblical when it is obedience from God. If ambition is for myself, guess who I get at the end of the day? I get to cross the finish line, and I get to look in the mirror. And I got no one to high-five. I got no one to hug. And I get myself. But if ambition is obedience when I cross the finish line, I have people going with me. I have a team. I have a wife. I have a family. It is obedience at that level. And Solomon is telling us he looked in the wrong places. Number three, His bad decisions can't be redeemed because of his age. His bad decisions can't be redeemed because of his age. I'm going to read verses 12 to 18. And if you do underline in your Bible, great. If you don't, great. But notice how many times he says, I. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied it to my heart to seek and to search out and out by wisdom, all that is done under under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I, there it is again, applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he he who increases knowledge increases sorrow." There's a few things that I want to make sure I say here. He says, I, I believe it's eight times. And if you get to the end, of the end of your life and people start asking you questions, what would you have to tell us? If the only person you get to bring up is yourself, I guarantee you'll be the only one there. Just your own pursuit. Man, it was me, it was me. And in chapter 2, if you read ahead next week, we'll talk, I think it's 14 times he says, I did this, I did this, I did this, because he was at the center of his life. And I, the thing that made me question is, he says, why is this toil, why is this pursuit? It says in verse 13 and 14, an unhappy business. I, I mean, my Bible says that what? In Genesis 1 and 2, when God created what? He said, it is, it's good. And then when he created again, he said what? It's good. And then when he created man to work before the fall, what did he say? It is good. So why would my Bible say in the beginning that work is good. And then Solomon says, man, it's just an unhappy business. Man, my Tuesdays, I hate them. Man, my Thursday, it's this. It's man, I, I can't, I I hate this part of work. And it's the it's a result of the fall. And we could get into the I guess theology behind it, and you know, result of the fall and why it's a curse and why we're working against. But I do believe that as, if you are a follower of Christ and he has given us a responsibility to work, if our work is simply for material gain, if it's simply to make myself better and bigger and more, have more notoriety, it is just an unhappy business. And trust me, I'm not the guy that's kind of like, hey, you need to sell your house and like buy a I don't know, a trailer and live in the trailer and you need to quit your job. And you, I mean, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm, I am saying that whatever God has put before you, when God gives you something or he gives you a task to do, we just make sure that, number one, we do it for him, that he's at the center of it. And if God has given you a ton of stuff, instead of going like this, we say, hey, God, why'd you give me that? Why'd you give me that? What do you want me to do with that? What do you want me to, what, this, this work opportunity that you put in front of me, it's more than just eight to four, ain't got no more, nine to five, man, I'm sick of it. Money. It's more than just that. The conversations I have, the people you put in front of me, if work is simply about me, every single time it will leave me empty. It's an unhappy business when I am at the center of my world. And he says in verse 15, and I've probably brought this up before because it's one of my favorite. It says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is, what is lacking cannot be counted. What does he mean by that? And why did I say he believed at the end of his life it can't be redeemed? He sits there and he says this proverb and he's probably sitting there thinking, he's like, man, what is crooked? It can't be made straight. Because he believed the lie that at this point in his life, it is what it is. Increased knowledge has increased his what sorrow. There's this weird balance that happens, and I mean, it's. I guess I've been thinking about it more so I can see it real life. Um, when little children, man, when when things happen bad to a two year old or a three year old. Man, give them three minutes and they can't even remember who wronged them. Man, as parents, you can remember spanking your kids and in the same breath, them coming up to give you a hug and the, the, having that relationship where life to them, they just haven't experienced much, right? And then what happens? Man, they start going to school. The kids are mean. Then this happens and then and then this happens. And then next thing you know, when you're young... As a Christian, even, you still believe that God still does crazy stuff, still believes he does miracles, and anyone can get saved at any time, any place, anywhere, and God still is the miracle-working God. Well, sometimes along the way, when we have increased knowledge, we get a little bit bitter and cynical and pessimistic. I think all of you have experienced that on a personal level, if you're like me yeah, I just know them. I just know how they are. No, Mike, you don't understand. These people, they cannot change. You don't understand. I mean, and and so increased knowledge increases sorrow or sadness or it just gets you cynical or pessimistic towards life and you just kind of sit here with your arms crossed sometimes and you just say, it is what it is. And when that happens... You believe the lie that what is crooked cannot be made straight. And we serve a God who what? Makes straight lines with crooked sticks. He takes my messed up life. When I was 17 years old and someone would have looked at me and said, good luck. And he takes my messed up crooked life and he makes it straight in the sense of with crooked sticks. He takes your messed up life and he makes it straight whether you are 25, 35, or you're 55, or you're 65, the temptation for us sometimes is to get cynical, it's to get bitter, it's to believe that it is what it is. You'd rather not have that conversation because it is what it is. And Solomon is sitting in that pit right now. He believed it can't, nothing can, this situation or his life cannot be redeemed because of his age. It's just he's too old at this point. I mean, he's writing the letter, and he's just saying, man, increase knowledge, increase sorrow. What is crooked? Once it's crooked, it's what? It's crooked. It's broken. For Solomon, there is a story behind the story. He looked in the wrong places, and his bad decisions cannot be redeemed because of his age, which is a lie from the pit of hell. The devil wants you to believe that that relationship cannot be restored because, you know what, it is what it is. There's just too much gap there. And I'm not debunking the fact that there are sin and there is consequences. But I want to say for some of you tonight, you have the belief in your mind and it is fixed and it is ingrained that either you can't serve anymore because maybe something happened and you're a little bit too old right now, a little bit too whatever, out of the mix. Or maybe, you know, you've tried talking to your son before and really at this point it is what it is. God, he's done with that. You know, you kind of gave that up to him. But maybe, just maybe tonight, you need to see what God can do from a different perspective. This book is not written so that you would just get more depressed. Right? I mean, the last thing I want to hear is, like, I don't want any phone calls from your wives. Oh, no, don't you dare. Why did my I asked him to mow, and he said, the preacher said it's vanity. What's the point? <laughs> really? Like, that, that's not the point, that this book would make you sulk in your, you know, like, you know, what's the point? I'm not going to even, clean. take out the trash. Who cares? That's, that's not the point. The point is for us to learn Man, the last thing I want when I get to the end is to be sitting there by myself with a bunch of stories of what I could have done, not what I tried to do. And no one, no one gets to the end on accident. Nobody finishes well on accident. It doesn't just happen. You just toss the dice and it takes place. You don't become godly on accident. So what I want to do before you guys jump into your discussion uh, for tonight. Three quick things that I want to do to get the most out of Ecclesiastes, to get the most out of this study and to kind of prep us for the next nine weeks. The first one is this, allow the mistakes of Solomon to teach us. It's in First Corinthians 10, 11, Romans 15, 4, and 1 Corinthians 10, 6. It says this, now these things, when it says these things, it's not Exactly referring to Solomon, but it's talking about some Old Testament stories and how uh, people before them had made mistakes, took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. When you read Ecclesiastes, you're faced with the reality that, man, maybe I'm doing this right now in my career. Not that you shouldn't be successful. Oh my gosh. I mean, pursue whatever God would have before you, but the question is the motive, why? Maybe I'm doing this in my marriage right now. Allow the mistakes of Solomon to teach us. And I know it is an easier lesson learned when you experience something. I mean, hearing a sermon about or a message about something or reading a book or reading Ecclesiastes has the opportunity to teach you if you allow it. And I know life is an easier lesson, it's a better lesson, but we can save ourselves, or you and I can save ourselves from some of the mistakes if we just say, hey, let me, let me pull from Solomon here because he had a lot more money than I'm going to have and he pursued this a lot harder than I'm going to have and this was his conclusion. Number two, remember how short life is. Remember how short life is in Psalm 144, 4 says this, man is like a breath and his days are a passing shadow. It just goes quick, it just goes quick. Let me read this because I know a lot of you are thinking it, James 3, 13 and 14, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what is your life, question mark. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Psalm ninety says, "What teach me to number my days, that you may give me a heart of what wisdom." I know for me, um, life feels a lot when it gets busy and it picks up and things take place. You feel like maybe it goes slower sometimes. And I'll never forget the phrase that was told me when I was twenty, and it was Mike. The days are, what, long, and the years are short. That if you, and if, if learning to, how to live life as being short is really, um, I believe, a skill and something that I'm not very good at. And I believe if we look at Ecclesiastes, that it really causes us to say, man, the life that we have, it's not meaningless outside, inside of Christ, if we follow Jesus, he says, I am here to give you life and give it abundantly, right above my head, abundant, abundant life. If I pursue things outside of him, it brings me meaninglessness. So I have to ask myself the question, what am I pursuing my life in? Number three, learn or seek to learn the foreign skill of contentment. And I say foreign uh, for a reason. Contentment really is a skill. I believe it's something that has to be learned. And I believe it's something that we have, to, we have to seek after and try. See, okay? Okay, sorry. It says in Proverbs 30, 7 to 9, it says this. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Um, my question after I read Proverbs 37 and 9 is What if God actually answered that prayer request? Sometimes we would say that uh, we want to learn contentment, we want God to give us what, is, what we can handle in a sense or what he has for us, but what if he gave you not too much, but just enough? What if he gave you maybe two more, too much more than you could not handle, but if he gives you a lot, could you handle that kind of stuff? And the proverb says, hey, give me neither. Give me neither because if I'm broke, you know I'm going to steal. And if I got too much, you know I ain't going to need you. And it's in Philippians, he says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned. I believe this is a skill that has to be learned. In whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is what Paul had learned, and that is what the proverb is praying for us, that we would learn the foreign skill of God. I want to be content with, you, with what you have given me and what you have before me. I want you guys to break off into your tables. There's three questions there. Share about a time when you know, you know someone who had a great start but didn't finish well. What did you learn from that when in your life have you sought after something and it left you feeling empty? And number three, where could you grow in learning contentment right now? I'm going to give you guys 10, 15 minutes. take your time uh, with these questions and we'll come back together. One of the things I want to kind of end with here, I'm not going to read the entire thing. I would encourage you uh, to read this and I'll, you can write down the reference. It's first Kings 12 6 to 11, First Kings 12 6 to 11. It's called uh, Rehoboam's folly, who is Solomon's son. And Solomon's son, he takes over, and as he takes over as a king, uh, what he does is he approaches a bunch of young guys, his buddies, his locker room buddies, you know, the ones that he's always had fun fun with, and he says, "Hey, I'm taking over the kingdom. What do you think I should do? Should I increase the toughness? Should I become a tough leader, or should I seek to serve them and make it easier?" And what did they say? They said pick it up, make it harder on these guys. Yeah, they're older, let's, you know, work them. And then he walks away, and he goes over to the older group, or his dad's counselors, and he says, what do you think I should do? And what do they say? Lighten the load. Lighten the load, man, they've been working. They're tired, man. These guys, they've been working their whole life. Like, come on, get them early retirement, something. And what's he do? He goes with his buddies And I tell that story, or maybe you want to read it later, um, because even after Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam had the choice and the opportunity to decide this question or to answer this question. Who will be the loudest voice in my life? Who's going to who will I allow to speak to me? Who will I allow to impact my life? Am I going to allow the world's perspective, I'm going to buy what buy things for people I don't know, impress people I don't care about, to see people I've never seen, to blah, 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 you know. Am I going to allow other people or people who aren't a godly influence to have the loudest voice in my life? Or will I allow it to be God's word? Will I allow Solomon, will I allow Ecclesiastes, God's word, to be the loudest voice in my life? When I don't learn from my mistakes, when I don't learn from what God is trying to teach me, what happens? I end up acting like a 16 year old who is actually 26. And you want to know what that looks like? You already know. It's just embarrassing for everybody. When I, learn lesson, when I don't learn what I'm supposed to learn and if I don't learn lessons that God's trying to teach me at 26, what I'll be 36 acting like a 26-year-old and on and on and on and you could go. And really you have to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? And you can answer the question, God, who is the loudest voice in my life? Who do I allow to have the most impact on my decisions? Is it you? Is it other people that don't follow you? And who is it before you, Before me? Before we get out of here tonight, I'm going to show us just a quick uh, music video. I know some of you are going to be tempted to sing it because you know the song. You love the song. You might be crying. Saying, don't do any of that. Uh, let Let Tim McGraw serve us well. So uh, it's the Tim McGraw to how to live like you're what? Dying. And there's a lot of years before me, you know, and he goes on. And I finally read the good book. And, yeah, I mean, I could sing it. I know the song. Uh, but I think you get the idea or the point behind I think Solomon is teaching us a lesson in Ecclesiastes and really a lesson of how to live like you're dying, how to live like really finding the meaning and the purpose to life, that life is short, how to make the most out of the life that God has given you, and how to not get to the end and have a ton of regrets and making decisions today that will make that day and that time that much better. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for Ecclesiastes and uh, the words of Solomon and really his testimony to us. Uh, God, I pray that uh, even as really the Holy Spirit brings stuff up in our life, whatever you bring up, whatever really you want from us out of this and even out of tonight, I pray that you would help us to serve you with open hands God, that we would really, anytime you give us something, we would say, what's this for? And God, when you have blessed us in ways that we could not even imagine, would we not find our identity in those things, but rather in you, who is the giver of those things? Would all of us seek to worship the creator over creation? We love you, and we thank you that we get to be here tonight, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.